everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 82 of the show, where we are going to be finishing up the month of January 1965. It's already been a whole month of the new year. It is just flying by. We're going to be at 1966 before you know it. Before you know it, and not definitely not nine months from now. Oh my god! And like thirty episodes or something yeah. like that. Yeah, something yep. like that. <laughs> yep. But it's pretty much straight nine issues a month for all of this year. I mean, Marvel's not going to change their lineup until like until like nineteen sixty eight or something like that. So this is going to be our format for a while. But they are going to be changing up some of these titles because, like for instance, the title we're talking about tonight, we've been counting down. To, you know, the end is going to be, what, four more stories or something like that. Right. Or this is the fourth of four more stories. So it's going to be three more stories after this episode. Yes, um, this is the uh, this is the pre-anti-penultimate story of the Human Torch <laughs> in the Right. Thing. Strange Tales number 131, which came out January 12th, right? Like all the comics uh, tonight. I like all the comics tonight. It's called The Bouncing Ball of Doom, Good Gravy. Yeah, um, not to start off on the wrong foot, but has there ever been a dumber comic book title? Or possibly story, as we'll find out in a second. Story by Stan Prolific Lee, illustrations by Bob Terrific Powell, delineations by Dick Specific Ayers, lettering by S. Hieroglyphic Rosen. We've got Johnny and the Thing in one of Johnny's cool cars. It even has F4 on the license plate. I just noticed that right now. That's kind of neat. Um <laughs> And I can't remember where they're going, but they're going somewhere that involves paying a toll and stuff. And there's like this whole roadblock and like apparently there were bank robbers and, you know, please stay in your vehicle. And they're like, okay, well, this is below our pay grade, but we'll like at least stay out of the way and stuff. So let's go park somewhere. So they go to park and um, I guess like back in the day they had baskets and you threw change in the basket and that would like let you park inside the parking garage or something. But the basket moves and Johnny misses the quarter and the thing makes fun of him for missing. And he's like, no, it moved. I swear. He's like, no, you're just crappy at throwing quarters in baskets. And he gets out. But it turns out Johnny wasn't wrong because then there's even a bigger rumble and the whole place is like an earthquake going on. And like this bridge that they were, uh, you know – Trying to cross. I guess that's what they were doing with the quarter is trying to pay the toll across. Um, the bridge starts falling apart. But luckily the thing and the human torch are there and the thing reaches out and grabs like whatever the um, – I don't really know my bridge uh, um, anatomy. But, you know, the wire stuff that is on a bridge. The, uh, he gra- the, what is it? The, the suspension cables? Suspension cables. That sounds legit. He grabs those before they tear. That sounds bridgy. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bridge-like. He grabs the suspension cable because it's like snapping and he pulls it with his awesome strength and then the human torch melts it all a Superman heat vision and everything's fine. Um, and the robbers get caught because they were trying to get over the bridge and the policemen like, you know, stop them. So cut to there was more to the shenanigans than meets the eye because really the whole plan was the evil mad thinkers. And he's now throwing a fit as he watches this whole thing play out on TV because he – had it exactly worked out to where these robbers were going to rob the bank, go across the bridge, and then the bridge was going to collapse so that they could get away. And he was 99.999% sure that his plan would work, like he always says. 
except he didn't factor in that the thing and the human torch were going to be there. So now he has a bee in his bonnet. He's mad at them. It's all their fault that he looks stupid. So he's going to destroy them. How's he going to destroy them? With a bouncing ball of doom. That's how. So there's like a whole page of him like creating this basically a bowling ball, although it has components and stuff on the inside and it looks all kind of amazing like he puts it in this big giant you know incinerator machine or furnace thing and like i don't know it comes out and basically it's just this ball that can move around and hit things and do a bunch of stuff and he's like it's unbeatable and now i'm going to destroy a dam with it so we cut back to human torch and the thing and actually the other two ffers and Human Torch and Thing have been invited to the grand opening of this dam. And for some reason, they find that awesome. So they're going to go. We cut to the dam. And there's this mysterious man in a trench coat with a bowling ball case. And he's like interviewing or talking to the guy that invented the dam. And while the guy's not looking, he presses a button on his bowling ball case. And the bowling ball falls out because that's right, kids. It's really the mad thinker. Um Then we cut back to him watching TV. It's kind of actually a weird way they did this. They have like the action start on his television. So apparently the thing and Human Torch get there and immediately he starts pushing buttons and this bowling ball flies around and starts hitting the dam. Uh, The thing – excuse me. The thing tries to stop it but it hits him so hard that he falls over. Human Torch tries to stop it but it erupts like a blast of cold air on him. So it blows out his flame. Um And then it starts smacking on the dam and the owner or the builder or the creator of this dam decides the best thing to do is to – I don't know what he calls it. Like turn off um, – I don't know. See, I don't know dam anatomy either. But essentially get it so where like releases the flood – releases the gates or whatever. So like – you know, the dam isn't being destroyed and all the water is seeping through and destroying the dam and killing everybody, right? So he's trying to – Yeah, open the floodgates. So he's trying to do that, but he's like in a precarious position and he falls, but the thing manages to catch him and like dig his strength into the dam and like hold them up there. Meanwhile, this ball is still going crazy and hitting everybody and the human torch manages to grab it. And at some point he loses it again, but he, he, uh, he catches the thing and they all sort of fall. And this dam or this ball loses control because it hits. Oh, I remember. Here's another thing. The Mad Thinker had a 99.999% chance that this ball was going to destroy the thing, but he didn't factor in the idea that the thing, the second time it attacks the thing, the thing does not uh, try and catch it. He ducks. So then the ball hits the dam in the wrong way and go and, you know, uh, start short circuiting. So now the mad thinker isn't even controlling the ball. It's just kind of going all over the place. Human Torch tells Thing, you know, next time it gets close to you, can you punch it into the air? He says, yeah, boy, it's clobbering time. He hits it really hard. It flies up way high in the air. Johnny flies after it, goes supernova. It destroys it. And then, of course, Johnny is deflamed and he's falling to his death. He thinks it's okay. It's what a way to go. At least I killed the big bad ball of destiny. Um, but the thing is down there. And he catches him because that's how physics works. And then, you know, the uh, the guy managed to shut off the valve while they were all doing that. And everybody's safe and everybody's happy. And the Mad Thinker's, you know, seen watching the TV and all that going on. And it's just like, no, no, my plan was perfect. It was 99.999% perfect. How does this keep happening? And then it cuts back to uh, 
the thing and the human torch and the other FFers and they're all kind of theorizing that the only person who could have made that crazy ball was the mad thinker. And he's like, yeah, he'll probably be back because he's going to try and beat us again. And then it cusses the mad thinker in his lab saying, I'm going to try and beat them again. The end. That damn thinker. He is the lamest character, man. Like every time it's like I had this awesome plan and nothing can go wrong. But then just the slightest Except. thing, the slightest thing makes it go wrong. It's like, well, I didn't factor that in. It's like, well, that's my power too. I can do that. Yeah, I can make plans. Right. <laughs> Anybody can do mostly that. Right. Like I do that on a regular basis. <laughs> right. My plans go mostly right all the time. Uh-huh. They even go they even go fully right most of the time. Right. And um, then when they go wrong, it's because of something unexpected that happened. And and that seems to apply to him all the time. <laughs> we are all the mad <laughs> thinker. That's right. <laughs> it's like, dude, you don't actually have powers, do you? I think whenever I say that my plans go right most of the time, my wife is giving me a look. Yeah. Well, you um, know, I mean, like we get up, we go to work, we go home. That all worked out. Yeah, you know, hey, successful plan. Yeah. I've never tried to destroy a dam or rob a bank, but... That's because you're not a dam destroyer. Right. Um, this is kind of an ugh issue, right? I mean, we kind of liked the last story and the one before that, I think, too, with the Beatles and all that, but this was a little silly. And it it looked good. Well, I mean, I really like Bob Powell, and uh-huh. I saw that he's only yeah. going to be around for a little while. Yeah, the um, art's good. But yeah, it's just... It's, it's, so, it's so bonkers. It's like... The ball thing was just, I don't know. I just kept reading it going, really? He just made like a ball that floats around and stuff? I don't know. Right. That is literally. Why does he he want to break a dam? Oh, I guess because it was a trap for them, but. And the plan fails because he thought the thing would punch it. And he didn't. He said he ducked. Yeah. So how much is that for that for predicting? Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's what you're, that's what you're, I mean, yeah, it's likely he's going to punch it. But like, that that's a failure right there. That's like a. And then, by the way, later he did punch it and it totally worked. So, how would that have stopped him anyway? Yeah, I don't know. It didn't blow up when he punched it. <clears throat> so, the thing at the quarter at the beginning, um, I thought that was a toll booth. You know, where you drive by the toll it booth is. and put your quarter yeah. in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah, I so screwed that up. There's a story about my brother and me finding a quarter in the rain. Uh-huh. Um, so, we're from Texas. And in Texas, you have rodeos, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, we're at the rodeo in Mesquite, Texas. And um, it had rained recently, and so there was there were like you know water and puddles and stuff around, and all of the uh, pavement, the, the stairs and the ramps and everything was all like smooth concrete. So my son, my son, I was a, not even a teenager, maybe barely a teenager at the time. My brother and I decide we're going to go to the concession stand. So say you know buy the dad, get some money, go to the concession stand. And we're walking down this ramp and we look over the side of the ramp and oh my God, there's a quarter on the ground beside the ramp. So we're children, right? Finding a quarter is pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. So we both decide to go for the quarter. And so we kind of speed down the ramp a little bit. And my brother speeds a little bit more than I did. And he turns the corner around the bar at the base of the ramp and slips in the puddle at the base of the ramp and knocks his two front teeth out. Oh no. And they're is, not they're not the child teeth. No, they're not the child teeth. Doesn't completely knock them out. He breaks them off. 
Oh. And so he has to get these caps on his teeth. But he's like dying at the bottom of the ramp. He's bleeding and he's crying. And I've got my brother and my dad is like, you know, five minutes walk away. And and so, yeah, um, that was very traumatic. And here's the worst part. You ready for the worst part? You kept the quarter? We never got the quarter. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, hey, at least you get the quarter. We never got the quarter. It is still there in Mesquite at the rodeo. <laughs> Probably. Probably. So um, that's what I got for this comic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just reminded you of that. Well, that's a better story. Um, see, so he makes he makes the thing sphere-shaped. And he says, uh-huh. nothing can break a sphere. It's the most solid structure. Uh-huh. Remember that scene in The Incredible Hulk? Like the TV movie when like the scientist hands the kid the egg and tells him to try to break it. He's like, no, get all yucky. And uh-huh. then he holds it and says, I can't break it. Because he's yeah. a little kid actor and, you know, it sounds kind of dumb. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that shape of an egg is stronger than a sphere, at least in one direction. So that reminds me of that story is I had a friend and we were in Cub Scouts and he was going to do a demonstration on how you can't break an egg. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? He squeezed the wrong side. Oh, no. And yeah, it just blew up all over his face and everybody laughed. And I always kind of felt bad, but it also was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen. So, yeah. Yeah, you can only do that in one direction. They don't even find out who is after them. Like, they just presume it's the thinker because of comic logic. I feel like they've done that a lot with this series. Like, that must have been the puppet master or something, you know? Like, they always Maybe. seem to know. They always seem to know that there's only one person who could have invented a ball that does that. Not Doctor Doom or, um, I don't know, pretty much anybody that they've ever fought. The Wizard. Yeah, any of the long list of people that they have fought in these 31 issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, Doctor Doom has made floaty things that have pursued them before those ghosty things. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he would – I don't know. I yeah, think we should go on to Doctor Strange. Okay, let's go on to Doctor Strange. All right. It's called <laughs> The Hunter and the Hunted, and it's written in a – what the hell is that word? Stygian. Stygian. What does that mean? Um, deathly, as a, like the river oh. sticks. Written in a Stingian swampland by Stan Lee. Drawn in a dismal dungeon by Steve Ditko. Lettered in a conjurer's castle by Artie Semek. As we recall, um, what's his name? Mordo is in league with Dormammu. And Dormammu is like creating power or creating Mordo, making him more powerful. Because Dormammu is not allowed to come to Earth because he's made an agreement. Um, but the, he never said anything about making... Doctor Strange's enemy is more powerful. So he's doing that. And basically, Doctor Strange is on the run. He's hidden the Ancient One because he's been injured. Um, I can't remember where he is. Hong Kong. He's in Hong Kong. And he's just running around in his civvies, basically, trying to make it to an airplane to get away. Um, so we catch up with him still doing that. He's in the streets. There's lots of Mordos like um, – I seem to recall, I guess they're his minions, but basically he like cast this telepathic spell last issue and said something like, you know, if you're full of magic and you hate Pete and you're evil, then help me find Doctor Strange. And they're all just kind of doing that. I don't even know if he knows these people, but they're all helping him. Meanwhile, we do cut to Mordo and Dormammu talking on the Dormammu TV channel, and they're not getting along, much like a lot of uh, Marvel villainies or villain partnerships don't. Um, He's like... Dormammu's telling Mordo what to do, and he's like, you're not the boss of me. And he's like, well, actually, I'm giving you all this power, so you're not the boss of me. And then uh, Mordo essentially just turns off the TV, so we'll see if that has any repercussions later. Um, 
Then what he does, and this is kind of a weird thing, but he summons like this guy who's like just a dude with a mustache and he's wearing pink with green shorts and he's like, you're going to be my vessel. And so he imbues all his power to this guy and then he sends that guy to Hong Kong. So basically every time that guy's around, you see like this big ghost of Mordo's head behind him, like actually running the show. So he's just sort of like a puppet, I guess. And anyway, he goes to like the seediest part of town and he's like, hey, you people who aren't magic but are, you know, bad guys and criminals, I want you to help me find Doctor Strange too. And they're like, why should we do that? So he casts a spell on one of them and, you know, shrinks him into this weird bubble and they say, oh, that's why we should do that. So they all help him. So now we have Doctor Strange being hunted by, you know, evil magicians. Um, the seediest part of Hong Kong. And also, there's a third element. There's these weird, like, uh, specter protoplasm ninja things that were also sent out. And they're kind of floating around everybody's head, much to, you know, nobody knows that they're there because they can't see them because they're just regular people. But Doctor Strange can see them, so he keeps ducking and dodging them, too, as they float through walls and try and find him. Anyway, at some point, he does get uh, ganged up on. He uses his awesome martial arts powers that apparently he also has that we discovered last issue and does a lot of fist fighting and flipping and judo and stuff but then ultimately he does have to rely on his magic and then once again does the whole like you know 28 doctor strange illusion trick and they all run different directions um he gets attacked by the specters and tricks them in the same way and gets away he finally makes it to the airport he uses a uh uh hypnotic magician power on on one of the cargo guys and convinces him to let him hide in the cargo. So he gets loaded onto the plane. One of the specter things goes into the plane, sees him. He comes out as his protoplasm form. And basically they have this really cool like magic fight while everybody else is just sitting on the plane, not realizing that's happening. Um, And he wins, but Mordo like sends more specter things to come after the plane as the plane takes off. Um, Dr. Strange sees that they're coming. And so what he does is he puts like, uh, uh, cloth over his face to make himself look like one of the specters. I guess these specters aren't like actual people. They're just like this kind of mindless magic cast, I guess. So he makes himself look like them and then waves them off like, oh, Doctor Strange isn't in this plane anymore. So they all think that that's true and they leave. And Mordo's like, dang it, he must not have ever been in the plane. He tricked us. But he was in the plane and his protoplasm form goes back into his physical form and he kind of thinks like, okay, for now I'm safe, but really I haven't solved anything other than, you know, once I land, I'm going to have to go on the run again and it's to be continued. Is it not the stranger looking for? This is not the stranger looking for. Yeah, so um, this is Doctor Strange. Uh, is this part two or th- this part three, right? I think it's the second part, isn't it? Second part. Okay, second part of Doctor Strange's Eternity Saga. Of course, Doctor Strange is portrayed in the cinematic universe by Baby Doll Child's Play. <laughs> and. Um, I'm thinking about last issue where he went to the Ancient One in Tibet mm-hmm. and he flew the Ancient One away and now he's in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So did he just like fly a thousand miles last night? I guess. And where's he flying the- to now? Does it ever say? I think he's just he's just going to keep hit, hopping one plane after another. I guess. But he was like flying on his own volition last or night. Or he's going home. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think in the plane at the end, my impression was he was going back to New York. So he's going to fight him at home base. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. This um, was cool. It's like kind of more just the same thing we already got last issue, but I'm enjoying his whole on the run thing. Yeah, the uh, the mustache guy was also in last issue. He has not gotten a name yet, but he is Kaecilius. Oh. And he was the crazed sorcerer in the Doctor Strange film. The cra- Oh, really? The bad guy that yeah, wanted the big to, bad guy. to summon Dormammu? Right. Wow. He doesn't look like him. No. And he's actually not that much of a character. He's they not. Really, they really kind of pulled a name out of like the archives for that character. Well, it's just weird. Like, It's kind of a cool effect. This guy who's going around but not really speaking for himself because you just see uh, Mordo's head floating behind him and stuff and mm-hmm. doing doing all the magic for him. But at the same time, it's like just kind of this weird idea. Let's introduce this guy who's just nothing. And why couldn't Mordo just do all these things, you know? Right. I do kind of wonder where Mordo gets off fancying himself on a level with the dread Dormammu. Like he, he calls on this person for power. Yeah. Right. Um, how, how are they the same? They're not the same. They're not the same, and uh, 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 it's funny that that he uh, uh, looks. I thought I think he's pretty much just annoyed him. I don't see why Dormammu is going to continue to power him at this point because he hung up on him. Right. We'll see, but he must be. It feels a little weird that Doctor Strange uses not only the cloning trick right after using it last issue, but he uses it twice in this issue. He uses it two times. I don't really get what the specters are. I mean, I guess they kind of say they're just like these mindless spells or something, but I don't know where they – did it show him casting them or are they just there? Last issue, they sort of flowed out of the dark dimension. Okay. So they're like these weird mindless hunting machines. They're like um, those things in Harry Potter that float around and suck your face. Yeah, yeah. I think it actually says they're like demons for the dark dimension or something. So they're just okay. they're just weird – like you said, weird magic ninja sorcerer things. That don't think for themselves very well. Right. Yeah. Which is like true of most of comic ninjas. Mm-hmm. Especially the dark dimension sorcerer phasey ones. Right. Oh, Doctor Strange had an incantation. I actually understood. Um, okay. Page five, the last panel. Back, you embassies, emissaries of evil. May the shades of the seraphim subdue you. I actually know what seraphim are. What are they? Okay. So, um... Literally, they are serpents. They are fiery serpents. Mm-hmm. But in Isaiah, the book Isaiah, they're used uh, as the word for these angelic beings that may or may not also be fiery serpent in appearance. But you hear about the seraphim and the cherubim as being the like names of the angels in heaven. So mm-hmm. the the ones with like the six wings and the six eyes and the wings covering their eyes, circling the throne, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those oh. are the seraphim. Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Someone out there in listener land knows what I'm quoting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> I'll, I'll post the video on our on our post. Yeah. Yeah. The post of Isaiah's vision. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get that. I'm sure he posted it on Facebook. <laughs> Um, um, I think my favorite part, and it doesn't last very long, but I like the idea of the like his ghost form fighting these demons in an airplane and just nobody having any idea that it's happening. I like that too. That, that was, was kind of cool. cool. When yeah. there's magic stuff happening all around regular people and they're just like getting their Starbucks, uh-huh. I like that stuff. That's pretty neat. It was cool. But otherwise, it's just kind of extension of last issue, so it'll be interesting to see what direction he takes. Steve Ditko takes on the next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a thing about his spirit form putting on spirit clothes, but I can't 
tell. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he was wrapping around his face. Was it his cape? Oh, yeah, yeah. His spirit form, like, dresses up as a spirit ninja Uh on the last page of the comic. And I'm like, how do you But I guess if you're just a spirit, if nothing's really there, you can put anything there you want to, right? I mean, he is wearing spirit clothes. Are are you able to take spirit clothes on and off? Or is that just part of your look or what? I don't know. I don't know magic. Uh, You know, I've, I've never done well with magic, so I don't know. We should ask Grant Morrison. We should. He does pretty well with magic, so I've heard. Yeah. Anyway, that's a fun one. little chapter. Strange down. On to uh, more fantastic things. The Fantastic Four 37. Mm-hmm. Behold a distant star. Yep. Um, this is, again, the world's greatest comic magazine affirms its leadership with this eye-filling spectacle written by Marvel's inimitable Stan Lee. And I'll have to vouch for that because I have a really hard time imitating Stan Lee's voice. Mm. Drawn by Marvel's unmatchable Jack Kirby, inked by Marvel's impeccable Schick Stone, and lettered by Marvel's unbearable Artie Simic. So, remember the scrolls? I do. Yeah, they're around. They're around. They're so always we're, around. We're getting ready for, I think, the rehearsal dinner mm-hmm. for the wedding. And um, Reed walks out with a gun. He's like, hey, look at this gun. (laughs) Oh, wait. It's still firing. (laughs) And it fires at Johnny accidentally. And it boosts his power so that he involuntarily bursts into flame with his tuxedo on for the rehearsal dinner. And it all burns up because it's not, you know, lined. It's not unstable molecules. It's not as best as it's just clothes. And clothes burn. So um, Reed's like, oh, crap, gun safety, yo. Yeah. Um, So as a responsible gun owner, he stops shooting his kid brother and uh, turns the machine off. Um, Anyways, Reed uh, hears from Alicia that Sue is upset. So he goes and talks to her and she's like, Reed, remember a few issues ago when my dad died? And Reed's like, I think so. If we have an editor's note telling us what issue that was in, I could definitely go reread that. Yeah, that was issue 32. So that was um, not that long ago, five months ago. And she's like, I really feel like we need to get some really mean, bloodthirsty revenge on my dad's killer. And Reed's like, cool. I'm down for some bloodthirsty revenge. Want to go kill some scrolls? Yes, Reed. I want to go kill some fracking scrolls. So um, we change scene to some scrolls. Uh, we meet the Princess Anel, who is the daughter of the Emperor, whom we have met in previous issue. And we meet her betrothed, the Warlord Morat, who is like every warlord stereotype wrapped up into one. And despite the fact that this makes him a terrible, terrible person, she just can't stop loving him. She just can't get enough of Warlord Morat. Even though she hates every single thing about him, (laughs) she just loves him so much. Because that totally makes sense. Uh Um, Whenever he flies over a random planet just shooting animals for sport, she's like, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Why do I love you so much? And um, whenever he, like, picks his toes during a movie, she's like, oh, my God, why would you do that? Why do I love you so much? Anyways, so. Sounds like marriage. Yeah. The Fantastic Four team up with NASA. They get a big old rocket to take them to the other side of the galaxy. And uh, not the other side of the galaxy. Excuse me. The fifth quadrant of the Andromeda galaxy. 
And uh, Reed has the NASA rocket equipped with um, subspace portal technology because comics. And they go through subspace and emerge near the Skrull planet. They land on the Skrull planet. They get attacked by some Skrulls. On this Skrull planet, there's something in the atmosphere that's like interfering with their powers. They all try to fight back, but their powers very quickly all fade away. So now they're powerless. They're taken captive and they're held prisoner. And Warlord Morad is right. Yes, I've got the Fantastic Four. They've beaten us like in three other comics. And now if I have these prisoner, I'll be even more powerful. And I don't know if he's actually trying to like overthrow the emperor or if he just thinks they'll like make him cool with the emperor in any case he tells anel not to tell her father about the um about the prisoners and uh anyways so the daughter is talking i'm sorry i got that wrong he doesn't tell her not to tell she tells him to tell her father about them but he doesn't mm-hmm. he has to keep it a secret for a while so she goes and talks to her father we've met her father before and they're chilling out and they're talking she's like well yeah well now that you've got the fantastic four prisoner everything should be like he's like i've got what she's mm-hmm. like didn't morat tell you we had the fantastic four prisoner he's like that morat is a fair for fur for fur so he goes and talks to morat meanwhile um morat is telling the fantastic four to help him or something or they're gonna die and reed's like I know how to give you ultimate power. I've got this gun in my ship. And they go and get the ship. They bring the ship over. And it's the gun from the beginning of the issue. So he's like, here, let me show you how to use it. And he shoots Ben. And he shoots Zoo and Johnny. And suddenly they have their powers back. And one of the scrolls takes the gun from him and shoots him with it, thinking that he's turned on them. And now Reed has his powers back. And the Fantastic Four fight the scrolls, And they beat up lots of nameless scrolls. And uh, Emperor Dorek shows up. And Anel um, is like, no, stop the fighting. And they shoot the warlord Morat. But it, um, it, Princess Anel jumps in the way. You think that they're both going to die. But Susan Storm puts a force field around Anel so she doesn't die. Only Morat dies. And the Emperor's like, huh, good riddance. I hated him. My daughter was always better than him anyway. And you know what? I'm never going to fight Earth again because y'all helped me with this Morat guy. So y'all go home, be happy and be safe. The scrolls will never bother Earth again. Sure. And they do. They go home. They have their rehearsal dinner with the priest and everything's happy. Yep. That was the end of the scrolls. End of the scrolls. It actually is the end of the scrolls for a while. Um, they have a couple of other random appearances, but it's going to be like the 90s, like the issue 90s, not the 1990s, but the issue 90s before we have another scroll centric story in Fantastic Four. And that's the only one before the Kree scroll war in Avengers 97. So they're actually off the table for a while. Do you think this like ends up being retconned into some sort of offshoot of the scrolls? Because it kind of doesn't feel very scroll like to me in some well, ways. Well, is, Anel is actually a person. Okay. I think, I'm not positive, but I think Anel is the uh, person who leads the secret invasion. But why is she and her guy that is cruel, why do they look weird? Oh, the art style in this is totally off. They look like, like humans with pointy ears. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's because they wanted to tell a love story, so they had to make everybody pretty because you couldn't imagine frog people being in love with each other. Uh-huh. I don't know. 
But yeah, it is the only issue where they do this, as far as I know. The scrolls on ba- are back on model next time we see them. So it's like part of me goes, oh, well, that makes no sense. And then another part of me is like, well, they are shapeshifters. I guess they can look however they want. Oh, that's totally true, though. But they don't shapeshift once. Nobody does in this. Nope. So that's why it also seemed a little oddly unscroll-like. And then lastly, I've just – and I'm not saying I'm an expert on scrolls, but the whole like – king and queen and princess thing i don't remember that ever being a scroll thing either but maybe it is yeah the the scroll emperor i mean i have read a lot of issues where he becomes a thing but i do remember there being some in secret invasion there was some background storylines involving the death of the emperor or the death of the homeworld or whatever okay um and uh, I do remember Emperor Doric being mentioned in the in the last time we saw the scrolls which was when they made when they made the super scroll mm-hmm um, which was not the last time we saw the scrolls, but it was no. the last time we saw the scrolls with any sort of emphasis. Because mm-hmm. there was that Invincible Man story with the Super Scroll, but the rest of the scrolls barely appear in that. Right. They just show up it, to kill him in the end. Right. And theoretically, Morat was in that group, but right. we don't see any of their faces. So that's the thing. He's like this big, regal, evil, tyrant guy that we're going to give credit for for killing Sue's dad. But like... He wasn't really a thing in that issue. No, I went back and looked. Um, you get a brief shot of three scrolls really tiny in the panel from behind, like they're monitoring the situation. Uh-huh. And there's a speech balloon pointing to one of them saying, ooh, I've got an idea uh-huh. how, to, how to really get back. So, you know, evidently that was Morat. Yeah, they just had to kind of like uh, fan him up a little bit for this because they now want Sue to find someone to get her vengeance on. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of just tacked on, it seemed, but... Anel needs to get out of that relationship. I'm really glad that he dies at the end because she does not need that. Well, she'll just find someone else to loathe and be attracted to. Hope not. <laughs> Probably her Hopefully wiring she, or something. Hopefully she has learned her ways. Maybe. I do like the idea that the Fantastic Four are working with NASA. kind of reminds me of the future issue where they're involved in the moon landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like all their vehicle, the big vehicles they've been using are like always borrowed or in collaboration with something like even the undersea vessels and all that stuff. Like at some point we just assume that Reed invents all these things on his own and doesn't need anybody else. But so far they're always uh, bumming stuff from other people. I was actually kind of taken aback by the loss of powers when they get there and they lose their powers. Like there's no explanation given at the time. Not even Reed has any speculation. There's just something about the, the scroll planet that makes them powerless and um, I wasn't expecting the gun from the beginning to show up. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I just didn't think about that. And then it showed up and I was like, oh, it's not really Deus Ex Machina because you actually had seated it earlier in the issue. I'm a little bit surprised that he took it on the plane with them, but, you know, whatever. Well, I knew it was coming because as soon as they lost their powers, it's like, well, yeah, well, that's what that gun is for. But <laughs> it was just kind of on the nose, I guess. But um I'd like to know why he invented that gun in the first place. Was he trying to augment everybody's powers? And if so, when they get back to Earth, is he going to use it again? Or is this just like a one-off gun thing we're never going to see again? Because if he Probably can go around thing. augmenting powers, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Makes um, makes like Sue Invisibility Force feel more powerful. And-, and also just to nitpick, I think it was weird that the thing loses his powers but still looks like the thing. I think it would have been cooler if he turned to Ben Grimm or something. Yeah, just becoming less strong but still the same physical form does not make a whole lot of sense. No. It's like the whole thing thing should have went away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did feel like this story and referencing the previous stories started to give the Skrulls like like 
these four stories they've been in have been a saga for them too, not just for the FF. Mm-hmm. I kind of we don't always get feelings of continuity with the bad guys, except for the major ones. Yeah, but this uh, this this felt like that. This is really our only species that continues to go, doesn't it? Like when we first started this podcast, there was a lot of like aliens, aliens attacking the planet Earth, but we've never seen you know the uh, the the whatever those Saturn men are again, or the Toad mm-hmm. men, or I don't know, I'm trying to think of others, but we keep seeing scrolls. They keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, I think some of those do come back randomly, but scrolls are the only ones that have, like, had repeated occurrences. Mm-hmm. So, which is good. I mean, I like the scrolls. I think they were a good idea. I, sure. I still really, really like Secret Invasion as a modern st- scroll concept. Um Oh, sure. A Kree Skull War is awesome. All that stuff. So it's like, yeah. but I just can't think, we haven't really read any other aliens that I can think of that are as big. We haven't I, come across the the Kree yet or. No, they're the only else. ones I can think of that have even anywhere close and they're a ways away. Yeah. I want to say around Fantastic Four 60-ish is when we see the, the Sentry and the Ronan the Accuser stories. Mm, Ronan. Yas. Um, I don't know why they changed the scrolls look i don't know if they were planning on keeping them changed or if it was just a, a regular a one-time deal but i'm glad they changed back um this reminds me of the hobbit <laughs> you know like in lord of the rings all the dwarves look very dwarfy uh-huh and then they made the hobbit and like the dwarves are kind of partly the heroes and protagonists so then they start making them look more dwarf human hybridy so that they're right. more heroic looking that's kind of what they seem like they're doing here like they backing away from the frog face thing to to give them some epicness or something. And there are some that are kind of frog faced, but what the, like the primary characteristic of scrolls, green pointy ears and the ridgy chins and short and short. Yeah. And these guys are like pale green. They're not the usual green. Uh huh. And they just have human faces and big, they do have the ears, but mm-hmm. it's they, the only characteristic. They can they be just, Vulcans. They just look heroic except for dad. Dad looks kind of, Scroll, scroll like. Although he is missing the ridges on the chin too. So yeah, none weird. of them. Even the frog faced ones have no chin ridges in this. That's really weird. So when they shot Anel, I literally typed a note saying, "Well, Anel's not actually dead. We are going to see her alive later." Mm-hmm. And then you turn the page and she's still alive. Yeah, good old Sue. That was pretty cool. And she also took out the main bad guy. Yeah, the, yeah. Sue was really the, in the fight today with the karate kick. So that was neat. Mm-hmm. Um. I oh, guess this issue had another one of those space pages. I don't know if we're chronicling that. Oh, with the photographs. Yeah, and it says it's like an actual picture from uh, a remote control special camera ejected from a ship at the precise microsecond. And I was reading that, going, "Is that true?" Because <laughs> this seems not true. It seems pretty not true. Yeah, but then where'd they get the picture? I don't know. They can't. They can't get it from the actual scroll galaxy. Right. But I don't know. I still don't really love the effect, but we're not going to get it much longer, probably. Uh, it's it's a fad that he has. It's a fascination he has right now. I don't think it's going to stick around very long. Yeah. I, I, I like a lot more whenever they do, like, cityscapes. Mm. And they put, they put you know, comic stuff over a city. I like city. City photos work well for me. Right. But, yeah, they, uh, they fly to the Squirrel Planet. They land their rocket very nicely. Um, then they fly back to Earth and they have to drop it in the ocean because that's how rockets land on Earth. And then they fly home in Johnny Storm's hot pocket tunnel. 
<laughs> or what did they call it? Uh, vacuum spout. Like he can create this heat spout that they all fly behind him in. Yep. And I was just like, that seems not right. I hope we never see that again. Although I do like how they all crashed through the window and broke all the furniture. That was kind of funny. That was funny. I like that. Um, so, yeah. This um, is it, really, right? They're really playing up the wedding. This Is is the next thing going to be the wedding? It's coming soon. It's not the next issue. It's going to be at an annual. But it is definitely coming soon. So, they're mm. they're gearing towards it for the stories. Wow. It's actually um, – when is the annual? Let's see. I'm trying to jump ahead just to see where the annual is and it's not happening. So, is it not that soon? It's a little ways out. I have it written down after 42. issue 42. We're after issue 42 and we're only on issue 37. So that's actually quite a bit of so, foresight for them. Yeah. Six months of story away. Mm-hmm. That means they're going to have bachelor parties and I don't know. What else do you do before a wedding? Because they were doing the rehearsal already. Yeah. I feel like the rehearsal dinner is like the week before, right? You would think. But no, apparently we have four more issues. So I don't know. I don't know either. That'd be cool if they did a bachelor party, but I'm pretty sure they won't do that in the 60s. We'll see. I'm thinking not. Okay, does that take us to Spidey? Spider-Man. Okay. Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> number 23. Don't waste a minute. You've got to see Spidey in action against the Goblin and the Gangsters. And by the way, the MMMS wants you. Uh, the Goblin and the Gangsters, written in the spellbinding style of Stan Lee, illustrated in the magnificent manner of Steve Ditko, lettered in the frenzied fashion of Artie Semek. And it basically starts with the Green Goblin confronting the mob boss of the week, whose name is... Lucky Lobo. Lucky Lobo. And he's like, hey, under my leadership, we could take over the entire city. Oddly, Lucky doesn't agree and has the guys try and attack him. But he's the Green Goblin, so he basically throws a smoke pumpkin bomb at him and flies out the window. And then um, um, he decides what he'll do is he'll get Lucky Lobo arrested... And then he can just take over his gang, right? Meanwhile, we cut to Spider-Man, or rather Peter Parker, who was cleaning his outfit and letting it dry in the attic. But it's still wet, so he didn't put it on. Put a pin in that. Um, Then he talks to Aunt May. She talks about how weak and weird he is, and he needs to call if he's going to be late, like last time. See Spider-Man number 22. Um, He goes to visit Betty. She's busy, but he snoops on her desk, and he sees a letter from jolly old england he's like who does she know from me <gasps> ned Leeds. oh my gosh i thought they were broken up um he then notes that J. Jonah jameson is rehiring frederick foswell who was if we all remember in spider-man number 10 it turned out was mr big or the big man the big man yep who was uh i guess the guy that used to be lucky and now He's not. So he's like, why'd you hire him? He's like, oh, I'm trying to be like a humanitarian and also just makes me look good and blah, blah, blah. And he'll be okay. Um, so then he goes to talk to Betty and the entire time, whatever they're talking about, he's thinking the entire time, like, when is she going to tell me about this Ned letter? When is she going to tell me about this Ned letter? She's never telling me about this Ned letter. She's not bringing it up. She's hiding the Ned letter. So he kind of gets crabby with her. And he says, okay, I'll check out and see you later. And he leaves. And then she has a thought like, oh, I forgot to tell him about the Ned letter. So that's how humans work. Um he catches uh, that old Frederick guy like um, doing some weird nefarious uh, whispering with some criminal and he's about to turn to Spider-Man to go follow him. But no, oh, he didn't put on the costume. Remember, kids? Because it was still wet. So he doesn't. 
Anyway, turns out Frederick is meeting with Green Goblin and the Goblin gives or he has like this thing on taxes for Lucky that are going to that would ruin him if it gets turned in. So Green Goblin's like, yeah, give that to J. Jonah Jameson. Um, So he does. And they kind of publish it. And Spider-Man finally gets a dry outfit and puts it on and he goes going around the city and he sees that Lucky's being raided by the police. Um, but he also sees that the Green Goblin's there helping the police stop Lucky from escaping. And he's like, well, that's weird because the Green Goblin is a bad guy. So he follows him around and he sees that Green Goblin attacks Lucky at his hideout. Um, Spider-Man's like, well, I guess I'll help because either he's legit or he's up to no good. But either way, I'm going to go in there as Spider-Man and beat these bad guys up too. So he jumps in there just as the Green Goblin leaves and kind of teehees and watches. Spider-Man mops the floor with this whole room full of mobsters. Um, (laughs) And there's this funny scene where like he jumps into another room and webs up the door so they can't get in. And then he pauses so that he can call Aunt May and tell her he's going to be late for dinner, which she appreciates. And then they all break in. And he puts his arms up and they're about to kill him. But really, he was putting his arms up because the web – he had this web tent all put up on the top of the ceiling. So he just pulls it down on all of them and he captures them all. And then he gets a hold of Lucky who tells him, oh, you're just a pawn of the Green Goblin. He's just trying to get rid of me because he wants to take over my crew. So then Spider-Man's like, oh, Green Goblin. That guy's annoying. So I'm going to go after him. So he looks around to see if he's hovering. And he is. So they get into a fight. Um, they kind of play like pumpkin bomb or web pumpkin bomb away. Like every time he throws a pumpkin bomb, he webs it away. Um, at some point, Green Goblin runs out of tricks in his bag, but also at some point, Spider-Man runs out of web. So they basically, or, you know, Green Goblin escapes because he runs away because he can't attack Spider-Man anymore and Spider-Man can't go after him because he doesn't have any web. Um, Green Goblin gets home, listens to the radio Turns out they didn't just arrest Lucky, they arrested the entire gang. So that kind of annoys him because his plan was to just get rid of Lucky so that he could have Lucky's gang. And now there's no gang. So basically he loses, even though he didn't get captured. Uh, Spider-Man goes back to the to the Daily Bugle and he's really suspicious of this Frederick guy. He thinks something's going on with him and he's actually starting to worry that Frederick might be smart enough to figure out that you know he's Spider-Man because he'll put two and two together that Peter always has Spider-Man pictures. Um, so he doesn't give Jonah any pictures this round. He goes back to talk to Betty and continues to get annoyed that she does not bring up the Ned Leeds letter. So he kind of just says, you know, I'll call you later or whatever and goes home. Aunt May did not make dinner after all, after all that calling. She didn't make dinner. She went next door to the Watsons and left him a TV dinner. And we end the, the issue with him sitting there feeling like his grades are good. That Betty, he gives Betty the benefit of the doubt and thinks she probably just forgot to tell me about the letter. Um, but for some reason, I feel like something really bad is going to happen and I can't shake the feeling. And uh, that's the end. So I assume next issue, something really bad is going to happen. I can't remember something bad happening next issue. Well, it says he worries about that. But this time, his grim dangers and startling surprises or his fears may be justified for the future does hold many grim dangers and startling surprises, but maybe they weren't specifically talking about anything in particular. Yeah. I'm, I can't pull out of my brain what 24 is. I know what 25 is. Um, I do not remember what 24 is. That's okay. We'll find out in three episodes. This was a really dense story. 
Like there's there's a pretty complicated plot going on here, um, which is pretty cool. But it's also like, wow, this is just this is just like kids fair, but it's it's not. It, there's a lot going on here. It's always hard to summarize Spider Man because you can't ever gloss over any parts because mm-hmm. it's always setting. Even the subplots are setting up other subplots, and right, it's like what's not important that I can just skip and move on. It's like no, I actually have to talk about his wet costume because later he doesn't have a costume on, and you know I got to talk about Ned Leeds's letter because later he's going to talk about Ned Leeds, and ooh. It's tiring. You know what's weird about this issue? Not weird, or maybe we've talked about this before, but this issue in particular, I really was feeling like uh, Golden Age Joker from the Green Goblin here. Oh, really? No, we have not talked about that. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? So I was just thinking, like, one, this whole idea of him double-crossing the mob in order to steal somebody's mob sounds very jokery to me because mm-hmm. he was always double-crossing his own fellow villains and stuff because he didn't care. Um he also just has that look, which I never really thought about before. He's got the smile and the pointy chin and all that stuff. But and then last, lastly, like both he and the Joker kind of just come out of nowhere and we never get their origin, which is very unusual because most villains, we know who they are and how they got their thing. And Green Goblin yeah, I mean, is we, just like we this We eventually get the Goblin's well, origin, but it's, it's, it's not for a while yet. Yeah, we get the Joker's origin too, but – like he's just this thing that shows up, and he's Spider-Man's greatest enemy already, and we don't know really anything about him. And mm-hmm. same way with the Joker, and it's just like I was just wondering if maybe they were at all inspired by the Joker when they wanted to give Spider-Man this, you know, amazing nemesis. That'd be a cool idea. Um, there is no one alive who could answer that question. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, true. He always has a smile. You know, I don't know. It's not quite the same, but you know, Golden Age Joker wasn't as insane and comical as he later became. So. Right. It just kind of reminded me of that. Like, there's this just guy that is kind of always happy, but double crossing everybody and having these weird over the top plans that don't quite work out. Almost like if he had just punched instead of ducking, <laughs> everything would have been fine. Everything would have been fine. Why not just kill Lucky? That seems easier, but whatever. Yeah. Just shoot him with your finger and be done with it. But you do have those guns in your fingers. Yes. You put them there for a reason. So, another mobster boss of the week. I feel like they go through these a lot. They do, but I feel like that's kind of a staple of comics in general. Mm-hmm. Like, back when I was doing my Golden Age Superman podcast, I was like, you know. Oh, yeah, there Golden were, Age. There were no regular villains for Superman. It was always just mob bosses. Right. This mob boss and that mob boss and the next mob boss over there. Uh-huh. Yeah, same with Batman. It was always a new mob boss or they'd go to a new town and there'd be another mob boss. And I guess mm-hmm. at some point, though, in the Marvel Universe, they start narrowing it down to a few, theoretically. Like, we get the Kingpin and the Rose and the Hammerhead guy and, you know, Owl. Yeah, yeah. We got the once Owl. The ki- once the 80s version of the Kingpin kind of, you know, gets set in his ways. Mm-hmm. The idea of mob bosses just like randomly showing up feels a little bit like where does this fit into the universe? Right. How does Kingpin let this guy exist? Right. Yeah. Um. What else? So Green Goblin, his look is a little bit different. He's got these really huge ears. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, I've got to know here. Peter Parker is planning on going to college. Like they tease that some more in page four. Oh, do they? They've been yeah, talking about that, that a lot. Yeah, science scholarship for State U. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's they're they're teasing that, and you know that transition is coming up in the relatively near future. They're just they they've decided to make plans, so they're working towards his high school graduation. 
this whole Ned Leeds envelope thing, um, God, that really resonates sometimes with me. Like you just get this idea about what somebody's thinking and what their motivation is. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's nothing like that on their end. Like that is social anxiety. Like, like that they, is, yeah, they didn't even consider any of the things that you're worrying about. Well, even like, I feel like I feel really secure in your and my friendship. Uh-huh. But even then, I'm always like, oh, I wonder if he misread that or I wonder if something, you know. <laughs> right. There's always stuff in my head that's uh-huh. wondering if something went wrong. Um, Especially relationships. And, yeah. 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 With relationships and texting and everything. It's like, uh-huh. are they going to misread? No, I just did another text to explain that text. Yeah. Oh, I just said another text because you explained that text. And then you have like this five text thing that was just like, I'll see you on Thursday. Right. And now she's like, maybe you won't see me on Thursday. <laughs> but it's just like hilarious that she's, he's just like, not hilarious, it's kind of sad because I've been through it. But like, you're, he's just got this idea that she's just purposely withholding this information. And then in the end, after he leaves, she's like, oh, I forgot to tell him about that letter. Oh, yeah. Maybe she mentioned that. And he's all like, why isn't she mentioning it? God, she's the worst. She must love him and hate me. Yeah. So the least believable part of this story is how easily an ex-con gets his professional job back. Boy, the penal system in 60s Marvel sure doesn't hold people very long. It really doesn't. And even, I mean, granted, issue 10 was a while back, but only a year. Yeah, he was a mob boss. I mean, shouldn't he be in there a long time? people killed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who is this... Matt Murdock person that's getting all these people out so quick. Right? You know, go put a bend in his tires or something. Yeah. I don't know how mob bossing works. I don't either. Um, <laughs> never done that before. But our plan is 99.999% effective. Or it right. Will be, it will be right. when we try it. Um, I did feel like the whole letter thing put us back on the merry-go-round mm-hmm. with um, – with Peter and well, I, Betty. I was wondering where Ned went, so it's kind of neat that he got a presence again, even if just through a letter. But Yeah, he remember they did that really awkward thing where he's like, let's go. To, I, I'm going to Europe. You want to yes. go to the airport with us? Right. No, I and remember he, he like, went to Europe, but then I just thought there'd be more and he kind of just disappeared. There will be. Yeah. It's on the back burner. Uh, yeah. I, I know he shows up eventually and becomes or sort of becomes the coolest goblin, but we'll see. Yeah. That's yeah. a ways away. <laughs> that is so far away. Um, it's. Did you get the feeling that they were trying to tease us that Foswell might be the goblin this issue? Um, well, he's like, talking to the goblin, so how could that be? Or is he talking to the goblin? Did I get that wrong? No, he, he gets the, the list of stuff from Lucky Lobo. <gasps> Who's he talking and to? Then and then he, like, like, the goblin gets it, but then Foswell hands it off to Jameson. Okay, so hold on. I screwed up the summary then. I misunderstood this. So, Peter is following Foswell, and he's talking to some shady-looking character. Mm-hmm. Then next we cut to the Green Goblin with talking to who? I'm finding finding the stuff. On page um, six. Who is this guy on page six? Okay, on page six, shady-looking character gives stuff to the Green Goblin. Okay, see, I thought that was... That was Foswell, but I'm wrong. No, that's not Foswell. That's just a guy that on the next page, Foswell has that list and gives it to Jameson. Oh, that's really cool then. Oh, I thought they were interacting with each other. No. Oh. So we could assume that Foswell talks to Shady Character, figures out where to go to get 
shady information and he goes there as the Green Goblin and gets it and then goes back to the Daily Bugle as Foswell to hand it over. Right. Wow. That's cool. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot else to really point the finger at him, but it's just, you know, it yeah. seems like they're suggesting it. It's a little bit weird because, you know, he's been in jail the entire time with me, the Green Goblin, but also oh, yeah. the Green Goblin's entire motivation has been to become the big man. Right. Good point. And big man likes, likes the mask and Goblin likes a mask. Um, that's really cool. I vote. Yeah. I think the Green Goblin is, is Fred Rafalswell. Yeah. That's absolutely true. It's got to be. <laughs> But it's um, it's the sort of thing that like you can see they may have been planting the mm-hmm. seeds there. Speaking of planting seeds, J. Jonah Jameson goes to a club in this issue. Well, not to keep dwelling on it, but that actually harkens back or forward to the Hobgoblin, which I was just talking about, is they did the same thing with him, planting seeds as to who it could be mm-hmm. all the time. That was some of the best stuff about those issues is like, was it Ned or is it Flash or is it, you know? Like, who is right. it? So they're doing that in here, too. That's really cool. What? Well, on page six, we see the Midtown Business Executives Club. Okay. And the fact that this club is appearing in a Green Goblin issue is not a coincidence. And and what is with – is he running for office soon or something? What is with him caring about his status so much in this issue? You know what I mean? Um, like hiring Frederick back because it makes him look good public relations-wise. And now he's at this executive club, like hobnobbing, which doesn't seem like him exactly. I don't know what a business executive's club would be except a bunch of rich old people, like rubbing elbows and enjoying being like the movers and shakers of the city together. Mm -hmm. And like, we don't have our own salons to sit in and talk about cigars. So we'll go do that. I don't know. I've never been to a rich people club. So I don't know what it involves. Yeah, but I assume it involves networking on some level. Yeah, yeah. And like people and, and looking good. and Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think he's running for office. I just think he like, you know, in the community, he's trying to put on this face of being an important person. Yeah. Um, page 12. Okay. That was a great scene. Um, okay. Yeah. That was D fucking lightful. I love like, it. Where he like stops. Uh-huh. To call Aunt May. Plus, I don't know why. Any anything, anytime Spider-Man pulls his mask up to expose the mouth is just adorable. I don't know. Yeah, like when he's eating and stuff with mm-hmm. his mask half off. Mm-hmm. That's always funny. Yeah. So he's just sitting there like there's these mob guys on the other side of the door banging, trying to get in. And he's just casually sitting there with his legs crossed and his mask up. But he's talking to his aunt that he's going to be late for dinner, making her happy. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. But for me, the best parts of this issue were in the first half. Once the fight really gets underway, I start to lose interest. And there's constant quipping, which I like some good Spider-Man quips, but it seemed to be like it was a bit much in this. Well, I mean, to be fair, this fight is no challenge for him. So it's just fun to watch him mop the floor with 20 people, I guess. But yeah, he's not going to lose. There's no sense of danger or or anything. And even when he finally starts fighting the Goblin, it's kind of sort of ho-hum because it doesn't last very long. And they both stupidly run out of stuff. Yeah, Goblin did not bring any ghosts or frogs this time. He just had some pumpkin bombs. <laughs> I'm cool with done. I'm cool with him just sticking with the pumpkin bombs because those other things were kind of <laughs> silly. But um, our issue ends with them getting away from each other and the Goblin losing without Spider-Man really being the reason why. So it's kind of interesting. Like 
dramatically, that's not all that exciting either, in a way. When they both just run away from the fight because they can't fight anymore? Well, but then he also doesn't get what he wants because they arrest the entire gang and not just Lucky. But that wasn't really – was that Spider-Man's fault? That's just how it happened, kind of. Right. You're right. It just all kind of fell apart. Yeah. Like he didn't he didn't stop the goblin at all. The goblin just kind of stopped himself. But yeah, I think that's um I think that's our issues. Too bad you disappointed him about those pictures, Peter. Yeah, well, lots of people disappoint other people, Betty. What do you mean by that? <laughs> oh nothing. Skip it. Ooh, that was a really painful panel. Yeah. yeah. Peter needs to Peter needs to get over himself. Well, I do like in the end he's like Betty was probably just forgot. Like he was trying to rationalize right. that he's being crazy. So we've all been there, Peter. It's fine. As many times as we've seen Betty be a little bit neurotic, it was uh, actually a bit of a change of pace to see Peter being a bit too neurotic about stuff. Yeah. That's a crazy um, pinup in this issue. What do you think about that art? It's kind of weird. Like his shadowing is reversed or odd or something, but I like all the faces because it's like old Holmes week now or yeah, all the little medallions or curios, whatever you call those, basically it's every bad guy who's been in the series so far. I know. It's cool that they can continue to do that for a while, not much longer, but mm-hmm. they actually managed to get them all on one piece of paper. And they even put Stan and Steve Ditko on there in silhouettes on the top. Yay. But that's it. That's our month, January 1965. Out of, out of here. We're already a month into the new year. Yep. That's it. Only so, eleven more uh, to go. Diving into February, they probably have some homework for next week. Oh well, shouldn't we do best and worst first? Oh shoot, you're right. It's the end of the month. It's the end of the month. We need to do that. We oh. do. All right. And I don't know okay. what the answer is. I don't either. Oh, I know what my least favorite answer is. Easy. That's no problem. But what's your least favorite for this month? Avengers fourteen is the stupidest comic book ever. <laughs> it should it, sh- it should have been about the wasp dying and instead they made it about everything else but that i forgot avengers 14 oh my gosh and if you don't pick uh, that, that one was... you're wrong because that is definitely the worst one this month <laughs> it's just it was, so bad it was rough okay we've got to get on the list though so i'm getting mike's amazing world you'll yawn right there on the podcast mike's amazing world open here well i can do it we got I'll do it in alphabetical order because that's how I like to do it. Amazing Spider-Man number 23, which we just covered. Avengers number 14, which is my bottom, as I spoiled it already. Fantastic Four, which we just covered, number 37. Journey into Mystery 114, where Thor fights the Absorbing Man. Uh, Sergeant Fury number 16, where they were stuck in the desert and, you know, all those Arabian people helped them and stuff. Strange Tales number 131, which we just covered tonight. Tales of Suspense number 64 featuring Iron Man versus Hawkeye and the all-new Black Widow and a retelling of Captain America and Bucky and the Omar uh, uh, Sando story. And Tales to Astonish 66, which was um, 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 the Hulk and Giant Man versus that lady that could shrink and grow things. I forget her name. Madame Macabre. And then lastly, X-Men number 10, the first appearance of Kazar and the unnamed Savage Land. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Nothing's really jumping out at me. As a favorite, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be Spider-Man, but not... I, I didn't dislike the Spider-Man, but it's not like one of my, like, oh my gosh, that's a, that's an amazing issue. But I'm like, I'm thinking about the Thor fight with Absorbing Man. Um, we haven't even done the second half of that yet. No, I didn't like the way that ended. 
So I'm not. I can't call oh, that a favor. Like, like all of a sudden, had to go save Jane from Loki. Y- yeah, Loki that cap- kidnaps her off screen, and there's like this. There's like the 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 mist, and then he just leaves, and it's like that was unsatisfying. Hmm. Um, Kazar was kind of cool, but I just don't know that I love Kazar enough to make that a thing. But oh, well, speaking of Kazar, I feel I, I had a thought after we recorded last issue. Uh-huh. So. You know how Kazar in the Golden Age was actually an adaptation of other material? Yep. So you're sitting in the bullpen and you're like, Kazar was a cool character. Let's bring him back. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not our character. We were adapting him from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, we definitely don't want to pay to do that. So how can we change Kazar so we don't actually have to pay to use him again? I wonder if that was the gist of the conversation, like the whole like... It, it would it would have to fall into the same category as jilting creator rights and everything else, um, but like they managed to figure out a way to do Kazar where the original creator of Kazar wouldn't get any credit. But what did they do different though? Different name, different backstory, and actually oh, different location. Mean, right? His well, they didn't ever give him an identity in this one, but they will, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but was that enough? I mean, I don't know. Like, can you say like I'm going to create a character called Zorro and his real name is Larry Lefton? And he's from he's from Oregon. Like, could you get away with that? And see, I don't know. I don't know what the laws were or even how much Kazar was copyrighted. And actually, I looked, and the Kazar pulp stories were written by a slew of various authors. The person who came up with Kazar only wrote like two or three of the like 12 or 13 stories of Kazar that were out there. Hmm. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what – it just occurred to me that maybe the whole bringing Kazar back actually – had some deliberate efforts to make him different so they wouldn't have to pay to use him. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Avengers 14 is going to have to be the worst one mm-hmm. because everything else is pretty decent. I liked Giant Man. Hulk was kind of middling. Um, I liked a lot of the Iron Man Hawkeye issue. Mm-hmm. Iron Man is not going to jump out as a favorite for me, at least not right now. Um, Captain America was Omar and Sandu, which is all right. Um, oh, but there was the bouncing ball of doom. That was pretty not great either, but I guess I have lower expectations for that book to begin with. Yeah. I mean, Avengers was worse than that, I think, because it was just so, it just kept going and it just never ended. And then there's this three pages of war that we don't even care about. And I just remember like crying that every time I turned the page, there wasn't the the end caption, you know, it was Mm -hmm. just, it was just, oh, the worst. Mm, you know, you're right. Yeah. Avengers beats the bouncing ball of doom. Yeah. Um, but what's the favorite? Cause that's, what's hard because these are all kind of like B they're okay, but they're not. Yeah. Um, Spidey and fantastic four are both kind of a minuses for me. Um, neither one of them is like, yes, I love this comic. So which one are you going to pick or are you gonna pick something else? Well, oddly, I'm also gravitating for towards Cap and Tales of Suspense because it's like if I don't – if none of these stories are really popping out, I do really love the art in that. It's not a bad story. It's just so golden it, age. It's just golden age, but it's really cool to see like Kirby now or Kirby in 65 redrawing his ideas from the 40s. Kirby. So that was kind of fun, a fun page, Turner. But I don't know plot-wise if it's worth a favorite. Uh, I'll pick Spider-Man, I guess, just because default – He's usually more interesting than most other books. Okay. Yeah. And especially now that you pointed out that Green Goblin, like, you know, Mr. Wreck, that was actually pretty impressive. So I want to go with yeah. it. Yeah. 
the Fred Frostwick misdirect was there, and the fact that the actual identity of the Green Goblin shows up in this comic is pretty cool. And I, I liked calling at May, and I liked the uh, 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 um, what was I going to say? The Ned Leeds callback, and so mm-hmm. cool subplots. I like all of that more than more than I like the cool stuff in Fantastic Four. Yes. So we're going to be in agreement on this. Okay. Wow. First time ever, maybe. No, it's probably not, but it's been a while. So we both got Avengers. We both got Spider. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that does that then. Um, all right. Bringing up the Twitters to see who has liked us recently or followed us rather on Twitter. What uh, What are we doing next episode? Yeah, I don't know. Um, let me see. We've got for February, we have Tales to Astonish number 67, which looks to be more um, – Hulk and Giant Man, but it doesn't really tell me much about it, so you're on your own there. We've got Daredevil, number seven, where Daredevil looking a little different and fighting Submariner, because Submariner has to be in every book. And Journey into Mystery, number 115, which is, I assume, the second part of the uh, whole rescue Jane versus Thor versus Loki thing. So those are the three. All right. Well, we have recently been followed by quite a number of people. So going through the list here quickly, we have um, the Rosen one at Rich AL 13, politically, socially progressive, Marvel DC Comics, Miami Dolphins and Ohio State Buckeyes, hashtag gay and proud. Double Lloyd at Chewy Han 99, survive BB guns and dirt bikes on the mean streets of the IV, just a kid who loves Star Wars and history. We have John Mahan 2, parent, grandparent, lawyer, Reds, and Bengals fan. We have All New Sucks, S-U-X. If, like me, you watched 8,000 movies and listened to 10,000 albums made prior to the 21st century, you would also look at the new stuff today and say WTF. <laughs> eh, okay. Kind of. I'm getting more like that as I get older, but I still try and like new things, too. I think that's just part of being an old person. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, we have Dawn, and I'm having trouble parsing your name, Dawn. Um, but yeah, Dawn, uh, there's a, the word rack is in there, but I can't tell what's going on between those two words. A mom of two, nine-year-old and 12-and-a-half-year-old that's interluctal disabled, married manager, love fashion, fashion blogger, and YouTuber. Thanks for following, Dawn. Sarah Centuries Podcast, Bitches Ooh, on Comics. I've been listening to is, that. Yeah, I've got uh, episode five is next up on my queue. Uh, a podcast helping make comics more welcoming and friendly, particularly for LGBTQ folks and women readers. Bitches Wanted hosts at Sarah Century and at SE Fleenor. We have comic book panel of the day at Daily Comic Books, which is basically what it says on the tin. We have Dynamic Duo Podcast at Dynamic underscore Duo underscore Dev. We have a pretty fun podcast if you want to check it out. Is that about and Captain have, America and Bucky? It should be. Yeah. It says dynamic duo, but I don't know what pretty, the duo is. They're pretty dynamic and they're a duo. Could be yeah, them. Yeah, they are. Could be them. It could be them. I just clicked their link to see where they go to. Fanlink.to. So um, they've had – well, it doesn't have their episode listings. Hmm. So I'm not sure. We talk about everything from basketball to college life to developing the next oh. big app. Oh, so it's okay, not even so about should... Batman. I thought it was about Batman for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> They roped you in. And then we have Anthony at Soda and Peeps, husband, father, nerd, founder of at Soda and Teeps, podcast co-host at Soda and Telecast. So, uh, yes, thank you all for uh, following us on the Twitter lands. 
And um, Dupe always please share our episodes, retweet them, tell people about us. Um, we always appreciate all that. Write reviews on iTunes or even just give a five star without writing a review. I think that helps. Yes. Um, or, you know, whatever star you feel is appropriate. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to suggest it had to be five stars. but Well, I like Michael Bailey's uh, advice or request that he makes at Dragon Con after every panel. He says, if you like the panel, give five stars. If you didn't like the panel, give five sarcastic <laughs> stars. Right. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Five stars in whatever tone you feel like they deserve. Right. Um, and if you want to find us on iTunes or anywhere, you just type in Make Ours Marvel and we hopefully will show up. Um, and if that doesn't work, go to makeoursmarvel.com where all the direct links to all the all the uh, uh, podcasting things are there for iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. You can also find, uh, of course, a complete archive of all of our episodes and a handy contact form if you want to write into us because we read those sometimes on the on episodes. Um, or you can just write us podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. Um, Billy T. Nurse has uh, liked us on Facebook and a family member, David Winward, has followed us. Um, no, I'm not related to is- him. <laughs> He's my best oh. friend's brother-in-law. Oh. Or one of my best friend's brother. Wait, so you're not um, related to him either? Not by blood, oh. but the relationships go back decades. I got gotcha. So basically family. Okay. A lot of dub for Dave. Um, but yeah, so that's our show. That's our episode. And we will be back next week with more comics. Mike's already told you what you want to read. Um, I can be followed on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My image show is at All the Pouches. My Transformers show is at TFUK Podcast. And my Scarlet Witch tweet blog is at Let's Talk Wanda. So we will be back next week. You should be here. Until then, or until Anel the Scroll Princess has a son who joins the Avengers, make ours marvel. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast coming October 31st 